Today, as we begin, I want us to start this morning by remembering the church. And I think that's a good place to, to begin today. We are in the book of Acts, and we are studying the actual his, history of the founding of the church, uh, the record of the, of the events of the founding, the formation of the church. Now, I've said it all the way throughout this study. I believe God is using the account of the church in the early days, in the first days, to prepare us, to equip us in the church in the last days. And I believe those are the days we're existing in. And I think it's a marvelous thing that we have God's word to instruct us in these days. Well, I want us to start today. Now, we have an awesome study, but I want us to begin by remembering the church, by seeing the church. I believe, I think we have lost the vision today the truth of the church of Jesus Christ. And I think that is the reality. We've become apathetic to it. Maybe it's become a mundane thing to us. But I think we have lost the understanding of the truth of Jesus Christ. And so I want us to start today by seeing, by remembering, by thinking about the church. Listen very carefully. Did you know the church is the creation of God? It, it is not the result of a committee that got together. It's not a bunch of folks who said, you know what, we need, to, we need to build a thing to worship in. The church is the creation of God. Understand that. The church is the institution, the creation of God. Did you know the church is empowered by God? I, I try to make this clear. The church is not a normal thing. It is not a club. It is not a civic club. Rather, it is empowered by the Spirit of God. God himself empowers the church. Now start to think about that. The church is instituted by God. It is formed by God. The church is empowered by God. Did you know, listen, the church is led by Jesus Christ. We were just singing about his name. What an awesome Savior we have. Did you know the Bible says Jesus is the head of the church? This is his movement. This is his mission. He is the head of the church. Jesus Christ leads the church. Did you know the church is the body of Christ? That's what the Bible says. We are the body of Christ. We are tasked in the church with the work of Christ on earth. Jesus is the head. He is setting the direction, but we are literally the hands and the feet. We are the body of Jesus Christ. Did you understand that? Do we remember that? Did you know the church, we are the pillars of the truth? Now listen, I love this one. Did you know the church, we are the pillars of of the truth. Now, you know why we're empowered by God? You know why we're not like the world that exists around us? It is because we have been given the task to uphold the good news of the truth of the Word of God. We're to uphold the truth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as our world gets darker and darker, as the truth is harder and harder to find, we in the church, listen, we are the pillars of the truth. We uphold the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you know in the church, we're to bring glory to Jesus Christ? 
The church exists to bring glory, to glorify Jesus Christ. The book of Ephesians says, as we work and as God works through us, Jesus, the King of kings, he is to be glorified through the church. Listen, we're not here to serve a selfish purpose. We're not here to take up our own cause. We are to glorify our Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you know we are powerful as the church? Man, I think we've lost that. Well, we're just going to get by. Well, we're just going to hope it'll turn out. Well, we just hope that we make it through this time period. Do you know we are powerful as the church? Jesus is the head. God is the empowerment. We have all of the resources of glory. That's what the Bible says. And we can do exceedingly abundantly more than we would ask or think. God can do that through his church. Church is a powerful thing. The church is an awesome thing. The church is a mighty thing. Now listen, it's not something to check off. It's not something to, to, to see in a, in a mundane, apathetic viewpoint. It's not something that, to be lukewarm and half-heartedly committed to. The church is an awesome, awesome thing. It is instituted by God. It is empowered by God. It is led by Jesus Christ. It takes up the work of Jesus Christ. It is a powerful thing. That is the church of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to see Jesus is intimately involved in the work of his church. Now, uh, we're going to pass through some verses. It's going to lead us to another set of verses where we see Jesus is intimately involved in the work of his church. Today I was going to look at Luke chapter 9 verses 1 through 19. We're not going to get that far. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9 verses 1 through 9. We're going to have to break it in half. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Our message today is entitled, Have You Met Jesus? Have you met Jesus? Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand, please. Not Luke, Acts. <laughs> Woo! Seven years somewhere, it sticks with you. Acts chapter 9. I'll go back to Luke. We've got another seven years. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what, we, what you must do. Verse 7, the men who traveled with him stood speechless hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. During Father, we come today, and I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for a Savior that we have today, a hope 
that exists today in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, I am thankful for today for your church, that you bless us through the church, that you show us your grace through the church, that you institute the church. And you know your believers are going to need a people to pray with and to be encouraged with and to study with and to go out and to launch out and to make disciples who will make other disciples. Lord, I'm thankful for the church. Lord, I pray as we pass through this study, I I pray that we would be encouraged. I pray that we would be instructed. I pray, Lord, that we would be committed and maybe recommitted to the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, I come today and I pray as we begin to study these, these verses today that you would speak today, that you would, that you would open our ears and our minds our hearts today, and that you would, you would speak. And I pray, Lord, that your people would be instructed. I pray, Lord, as we, as we pass through this, if need be, we'd be corrected. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in the process. Lord, I pray if there's one in this room today that does not know Jesus Christ, that today in the hearing of the gospel, they would trust you for their salvation. Lord, we ask you to move in our midst. We lay this out before you, and I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul, I believe, you may have heard me say this, is perhaps and most likely so the greatest Christian to ever live. I I believe that. Maybe the most impactful Christian uh, to ever live. He wrote most uh, of the New Testament. He spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. He served himself as a pastor. He trained other pastors. He started churches. And so his impact is huge. In fact, I was thinking about this a few months back. I I believe if each of us here today could follow our Christian lineage, which means if you could find who led you to Christ and then who led them to Christ, And then who led them to Christ? If we could walk back that family tree, I believe most of us here, that lineage would converge somewhere in the Apostle Paul. Somewhere it would cross paths with the Apostle Paul. His influence, his impact is that profound. Well, today we're going to see, we're going to study the story of his conversion, the story of his calling. Let me start by just saying this. Wouldn't you like to be used like that? And, and I, I'm going to be very honest with you. I, I, we work jobs and we've got things that are pressing and we've got bills to pay and families to raise and things to take care of. But, but wouldn't you like to be used for the cause of Jesus Christ like that. Let me, let me tell you, it is okay. In fact, I think it is fitting today that as we read through these accounts, as we think about the Apostle Paul, I think it's okay today. In fact, I think it is very fitting to say, God, I want to be used like that. God, I want to be useful like that. God, I want to serve like that. I want to be bold like that. I want people to be in heaven because of how you were able to use me. I think that's a tremendous thing. We ought to read this and say, you know what? I want to be used like that. I think that's a fitting response. All right, let's look at our verses, starting in verse 1. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went 
to the high priest. Now, uh, we read of Saul earlier. I remember in the account of the stoning of Stephen, he's the one man, it says a young man, Saul, held their coats. And so he's the one that held the coats of the people, of the men, as they stoned Stephen. Now, from Scripture, from his own testimony, we know that he was born a Jew. In fact, he has the most impressive lineage as a Jew. We know he was a Pharisee. He was trained by the most respected rabbi, Gamal. And so he has a great Jewish background. He is esteemed in the Jewish culture. Now, not only that, he is a Roman citizen. That is going to play a big part in his ministry. He is also a Roman citizen. We also know that he had a Greek education. He had the most thoughtful, highly educated of that time, uh, education. And so he is a very highly educated individual. And so he is esteemed in all circles. He, if you're looking for a man, would say he is acclaimed in all of these circles. Well, now he appears in Acts chapter 9. Understand the context that he appears in. The church is growing. It is a fantastic, it is a tremendous time in the church of Jesus Christ. The Bible says the gospel is being preached, the gospel is being received, and the gospel is spreading. If you read the account, it says, in fact, that all of Jerusalem is filled with the account of Jesus Christ. If you were to turn a corner, they would be talking about Jesus Christ. If you were to go to supper with somebody, they would be talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Due to the persecution, the gospel has also been pushed out of Jerusalem. We have just passed the account. It has gone into Samaria. Philip and then Peter and John, they've gone to Samaria. And so the gospel is flourishing. The church is under persecution, but the gospel is spreading. And it's in that context that Saul shows up. It is in the, the vibrant spread of the gospel that Saul shows up. Now, the verse says this, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder. Now, it's important for us to understand this verse. Breathing threats and murder. The word for murder, one translation says slaughter. So it's not just to kill somebody. It is a brutal word. It is a savage word. It is to slaughter somebody. And so he is still breathing threats and murder, threats and slaughter. The Bible says against the disciples of the Lord. And so he goes to the high priest. Now, I want you to see this. I think it's very telling in trying to understand Saul. The Greek word here for breathing, let me read this to us again. Now Saul, listen, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder. Now the Greek word here for breathing is not the word, listen, for breathing out. I, I think we may take from the context that that fits and I've heard a lot of folks say that. He is breathing out threats. He is breathing out murder. He is telling of murder and threats. Actually, it is a very specific Greek word, and it means not breathing out, but rather breathing in. Saul is breathing in murder. 
He is breathing in slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Now see this, Saul hates these believers. He hates, he vehemently hates these believers. Now the truth is, and the truth was, if you hate Christ, you're gonna hate his believers. If you're gonna hate the gospel, you're gonna hate his believers. Well, the hatred for the believer is brewing inside of Saul. He is actually breathing in murder. He is brewing, he is stewing in this hatred for believers. He witnessed the death. Now, I was thinking about this. He witnessed the death of Stephen. The Bible says he's a righteous man, a good man. He's esteemed in the community. And he sees that he testifies to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they take him outside of town and they stone him. Well, Saul sees him crushed with stones. He sees the stones as they strike him. He sees the stones as they stagger him. He sees the blood as it starts to flow out of Stephen. He sees Stephen as he collapses. He sees Stephen as his body is crushed in, 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 the, in the slaughter there of the stoning. And it doesn't repulse him. Something's wrong with this guy. It doesn't repulse him. He sees him as the, as the stones go flying in, and it doesn't repulse him. It doesn't sicken him. But no, it makes him thirsty for more, and he craved it. And the verse is telling us here in the original language, the beat that was in his heart, the breath that is in his lungs, the thoughts that were always in his brain is the slaughter of these believers. He's consumed in it. He breathes in threats and murder. Let me tell you, very simply, he's evil. Well, maybe he was misdirected. No, he is evil. I want you to be sure of this. Listen very carefully. Hatred and violence and the thirst to destroy and kill are not of God. Now that's what he's going to claim. He's going to say, you know what? It's a religious zeal. Throughout history, people have said, you know what? It's a religious zeal. I want you to understand the desire to kill folks with violence is not of God and he is evil. Verse two, he went to the high priest, verse one, and verse two, and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, the high priest, in a really pretty keen political move by the Romans, the Romans had, in a desire to appease and to keep track of the Jewish folks, they had made the high priest an authority over the Jewish citizens. Really, he was acting on behalf of Rome as a civil magistrate. And so, you know what? We want to keep the Jewish people happy. We want to keep the Jewish people in line. And so we will make their high priest a really a civil magistrate over the people. Well, the Bible says Saul hears of believers in Damascus. Damascus, it is the capital city of Syria. He hears of these believers. And so he asked the high priest for letters to the local synagogues, they said there would have been several there in Damascus, asking for permission or asking for authority 
to take believers and to tie them up, to chain them up, and to bring them back to Jerusalem. Now what's going on here? He wants to stop the spread of the gospel. In fact, he is so hateful of the gospel, he is so committed for the, to, to the destruction of the gospel that he not only plans, but he also asks, let me go. It was a six-day walk to Damascus. Now notice here, Luke, and Luke is the author of Acts. Let me clarify that. Luke records here, any belonging to the way. This is going to be pretty powerful. So that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. His description here is, is of believers. Now I want you to think about what's going on here very early here in the book of Acts. They have no collective name as believers. Now, they are followers of Jesus Christ, yes. They have trusted that Jesus is the Messiah. They've trusted him for their salvation, yes. They are disciples. They are known as disciples, learners of Jesus Christ. But there is no collective name for this group. They weren't known as Baptists yet. That's a Baptist joke. Luke says he is looking for those belonging to the way. Now, I want you to see how deep this is. I want you to see how deep this understanding is. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way. Now, I want you to put this together in the, in the, in the truth of our gospel. He is the way of God. He is the way of God. He is the Savior provided, promised by God. He is the way of God for salvation. Now, he's not only the way of God, he is also the way to God. He says, no one will come to the Father but through me, but through the Son. And so he is the way of God. He's the plan of God, but he's also the way to God. He is the way. Literally, he is the way. Well, these folks have taken the way at his word and therefore they have found the way, and because they've found the way, they now quite literally belong to the way. Do you see how insane that is? Jesus is the way of God. He's the way to God. He says, I am the way. They have believed the word of the way, and because of that, they found the way to salvation, and now they literally belong to the way. And so he says, those that are belonging to the way that I might bind them and take them away. Well, from the context, the request is permitted. The high priest, we know, shares his hatred and his contempt for the followers of Jesus Christ. And so he grants the letters, right? Verse three. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. He's getting close. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Now, later in the book of Acts, it says that it was at noon. It is 12 noon when this happens. Now, I think that's important. It wasn't in the early morning when the sun's not yet up. It was not in the late evening as the sun was going down. 
But when the sun was at its highest, when the sun was at its most bright point, at its brightest, that is when this occurs. Verse 4. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Later in Acts, also in a couple places in 1 Corinthians, it says, and Saul reports that he saw Jesus. Now, everyone else saw a light. They see the light, but, but Saul sees Jesus. And seeing Jesus, he falls to the ground. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse 5. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Who are you, Lord? Now, there's some that say when he uses the term, the, the, the word Lord here, that he already knew who Jesus was, that he'd already given him the position of Lord. Others say it was just a title of respect, like, sir, who are you, sir? But either way, Either he knows or he doesn't know, but either way, Jesus makes it clear. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Can you imagine that? Can, can you feel that on this evil mission, on this dusty road, and this is the furthest thing from his mind that would ever happen? He's going to stamp out the gospel. He's going to take these heretics against what he believes is the truth, and he's going to capture them, and he's going to bring them back to Jerusalem. Can you imagine that? He sees Jesus, and he says, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus. I want to take a quick side note right here for just a second. This movement is Jesus's. I want us to see this. This church is Jesus's. I want you to see here how Jesus identifies with it. I want you to think about what's just happened here. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now think about this. Saul hadn't persecuted Jesus. He hadn't killed Jesus. Now, his, his people had, but he wasn't around for that. Saul hadn't persecuted Jesus. He hadn't killed Jesus, but Saul had persecuted the way. Saul was persecuting believers. He was persecuting the church. But Jesus says, whom you are persecuting. Jesus says, be sure and see this, when you persecute my when you persecute my people, when you persecute my preachers, when you persecute my faithful, you are persecuting me. Do you see how Jesus identifies with his church? Do you see how Jesus identifies with his people? You haven't done anything to me personally, but as you've done it to them, so you have done it to me. When you persecute the faithful, you persecute Jesus himself. Verse 6. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. Verse six, Jesus gives him instructions. He says, get up, go into the city, go into the town and wait and you'll be told what to do. Get up and go into town and you'll be told what to do. Verse seven, the men who traveled with him stood speechless 
hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Now they see the light. They see the flash of light at noonday. They hear the voice. They hear him say, Saul, Saul. They hear that. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. They hear the voice. They see the light, but they see no one. They see what's happened to Saul. They see the event, but they see no person. Verse 8. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. Saul gets up off the ground. His eyes are open, but he cannot see. He is blinded. Now, I try and picture this. I think about this, and I try to picture this scene. Surely it has to be silent when this happens, doesn't it? Surely as they get up off the ground and surely as all this is going on, surely it is deathly silent around there. Surely you could hear a pin drop and as Saul gets up and as those guys are there, they were speechless a little bit earlier. Surely it remains silent. Surely you can hear their hearts pounding in their chest. Surely the only thing you can hear are their steps as they walk around on the dust. Surely it is silent as this has gone on. Or I think about it, maybe that's not it at all. Maybe it breaks out into chaos. And, and, and Saul starts to say, I can't see. My eyes are open. I can just see, but now I can't see. And the men start to come unglued and they say, what was that? What in the world has happened? We heard a voice. Who are you talking to? What has happened? Let's just get out of here. Let's go. And surely it erupts into chaos. Either way, they take him by the hand. And they lead him to Damascus. The hater of the way, the one consumed in vile hate, this one that in his possession he has the papers to shut it all down, the papers to drag him away. He has met Jesus and he's led into town. Verse 9. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Three days. Three days to think. Three days to replay what had gone on. Three days to remember. Bible says he doesn't eat, he doesn't even drink. Three days go by, and I, I imagine he replays every word that he has said. He replays all the things that he's heard. He replays this event. Saul, Saul, he strains in his mind and his memory, and he remembers the, the words of Jesus. I am the one that you have persecuted. How does he know me? How did he know my name? Who are you, Lord? Who is this? Who was it? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He sees Jesus. His mind remembers seeing Jesus. Surely that wasn't him. Surely this is some messed up vision. He has seen Jesus. And for three days, that is burning inside of him. For three days, it is all he can think about. He can't eat and he can't drink. You see, he knew who Jesus was. You see, he was no stranger to the person, to the, to the person of Jesus. 
He knew, in fact, he knew well that the hope of Israel would be a savior, the Messiah that would be sin of God. He knew, in fact, he knew well that the need of mankind was that God himself would rend the heavens. He knew Isaiah said that. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and you yourself would come down. He knew they were looking for Emmanuel, God with us. He knew and he knew very well that Abraham's seed, that Judah's seed, that David's heir would produce this Messiah. He knew where he would come from. He knew that Jesus had said that he was that one. He knew that Jesus had proclaimed that message. He knew that Jesus had even shown evidence that he was that one. He had heard of all the miracles. And now for three days, he sits in darkness. And I imagine as he sits there, he can still hear the words of Stephen as he proclaimed, he is the Christ. He is the Savior. And as he goes all the way to Genesis and walks it all the way through the Old Testament scripture, and he says, he was the one. And Saul sits there and the words of, of Stephen bounce in his head. And as he sits there in this darkness, his heart has to pound. He knows who Jesus is and he denied it and he rejected it. Not only that, he hated it. And for three days, that is the reality that takes hold. For three days, that is the reality that sets in. He had fought against God himself. He had rejected the very son of God. He had hated his own savior. Why had he not listened? Oh, dear Stephen, why had I not listened? He had denied his Savior. Saul met Jesus. Friend, today, have you met Jesus? Have you met Jesus? And you say, no, not like that. I haven't. Oh, I'd like to, I'd like to meet him on a road like that. I, I wish I could have. Not like that. I haven't. Today, I want you to hear me very, very carefully. I want us to be very plain in this. You see, he is just as real. He is just as powerful. He is just as glorious, the one that knocked him to the ground. He is just as glorious today. He is just as gracious to us. He's just as gracious to you. We say, oh, that I could have been Saul. Oh, if he'd appeared to me on that road, I would have followed him. Oh, how marvelous it must have been to be Saul. And, and I wished I could have been there. I want us to be very sure today. Don't pass out of here today and not understand that. He is no less gracious to us today. Oh, I wish I could have met him on that road. He is no less gracious to us today. Be very sure today. He has shown himself to us. Do you understand that? And he's done it in his word. And he's done it with certainty. And listen, friend, it is no less miraculous. It is no less marvelous. It is no less wonderful. He has shown himself to us. And he's done it in these pages, the pages of his word. Do you understand today? He's told us who he is. Lord, Lord, who are you? He's told us he's the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He has told us he's the Savior sent for those that have no hope. He has told us that he is God himself. He's no angel sent to run his master's errand. He is Emmanuel. He's God himself. 
He has told us he is the promise. He has told us he is the anchor. He has told us he is the truth. He has said, yes, if you're looking for the way, I am the way. He has told us who he is. Not only that, he's told us why he came. Why did he come? He says, I came to seek and to save, Luke 19.10, that which is lost. He told us why he came. He came to redeem those who've stained themselves in the shame of sin. He told us why he came, to give us his righteousness, to put his righteousness on us like a robe. Our sin had stained us, but we're covered in the righteousness of a perfect Savior, Jesus. That is why he came. He told us that. Not only that, he tells us how he did it. He tells us of the cross that it's gonna be a sacrifice. He tells us on that cross that the payment was made in full. He told us how he did it, that it was in his own blood, the blood that was shed. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. He tells us of his blood. He tells us of an empty grave. He's alive. The grave is empty. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He told us the grave is empty, and in that we are forgiven. We dumbly come and say, oh, that I could see what Saul has seen. Oh, that I could meet him like that. Folks, most importantly, in the same grace, he's told us how to receive him. You understand how gracious that is? It's not some mystery we can't behold. Let me have this swirl of mystery. You can't ever understand it, but let me hold it out in front of you. It's not a puzzle we can't solve. It's not a puzzle with all these complicated pieces. And if you do everything right, maybe it'll line up. It's not a puzzle you can't solve. It's not a work you can't complete. Oh, if you'll just do this and do this and do this, if you'll turn this corner, it's not a work you can't complete. But he tells us how to receive him. It is in faith and faith alone. Only trust him. Listen. We have the same Savior, and he shows us the same grace. And so we have the same question today. Have you met Jesus? Have you met Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm thankful for the truth of your word. And I'm thankful as I see you're putting the pieces together for the movement of the gospel. You're putting the pieces together for a, for a movement in a powerful church. How I see you're intimately involved in your church. Lord, I pray that we would not be apathetic to your church, to the call of the church, to the mission, to the movement of the church. Lord, most of all, I pray as we read these verses that we would see you. We wouldn't long for an event that happened to Saul, but we would understand that you've revealed yourself to us in your word. And I pray as we stand here as sinners convicted, guilty in our sin, that we would see Jesus, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sins of the world, the Savior for sinners. Lord, I pray that we would see you, that we would trust you, that we would turn to you. Lord, I'm thankful that your grace is as great for us as it was for Saul. Lord, I pray now as we conclude this time that you, you have spoken and I pray you continue to speak. And I pray your church will be instructed, your church will be passionate about your cause. Lord, I pray for, for one and maybe many, maybe several in this room that do not know you. And maybe like Saul, they'd heard about you. Maybe like Saul, they denied you. 
Maybe like Saul, they'd heard all the things. Maybe until today, they'd never met you. Lord, I pray that today in the preaching of the gospel, they would see the Lamb, the Savior, the Lord, the King, God Almighty, Jesus. They would trust you today. Lord, let them see you today. Lord, we, we pray that you're glorified in both of those responses. In your church, in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus, and in sinners that are saved in the hearing of that gospel. Lord, be glorified. We love you today. We thank you. We praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.